All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to the DFO Rundown Podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com. Delivered by DoorDash. Welcome to episode 52 of the DFO Rundown. Jason Greger from Edmonton, Frank Saravalli coming to you from Philadelphia. We're both live in the woodjerseys.com studio where uh, they have the new Seattle Kraken one. I think you have a few days left to get in our contest. You can f- follow it on our uh, Twitter handle at uh, D- DFO Hockey. You'll see Frank with his lovely uh, Toronto Maple Leafs one. Very intricate uh, very detailed all of these jerseys the new seattle ones fantastic i got the boston bruin ones hanging behind me and as frank is uh, pointing out like we like to call him uh vanna sarah valley uh that is indeed Just 175 pounds heavier yeah an official nhl licensed product from our friends at woodjerseys.com and uh, we will have jordan eberly speaking of the seattle kraken uh joining us uh, today is uh, taking some time out in his uh, busy schedule. Uh, we uh, recorded that on uh, Wednesday with uh, Ebbs, so uh, we look forward to that, Frank. And there's, you know, there's there's a few quick tidbits we'll get to uh, around the league uh, going on. The, um, you know, the Vander Kane uh, one is, is, you know, it's under investigation. I'm not sure there's anything new uh, on that whatsoever. But I do want to get your thoughts on an article I wrote about the NHL and the uh, the, the penalties. And, and how Columbus set an NHL record this year for fewest power play opportunities per game. Anaheim's second lowest in NHL history. Buffalo sixth lowest. The Islanders ninth lowest. All in one season. And 
I know that the game isn't as physical and, but I know the league wants to, you know, crack down on cross checks. It just seems like they've gone too far in allowing too much. What do you think? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, um, I think we were all hoping that this would be a reset for the NHL and the officials and the rule book and how the game is called. And I just don't think we're going to get one. I think the NHL, when they said it shortly after the Tim Peel hot mic incident, after the next controversy that blew up, whenever that was, they're happy. And, and Gary Bettman reiterated at his, you know, annual state of the league press conference before game one of the Stanley cup final in Tampa saying that they believe the officials are doing a great job. And I'm, I'm not knocking that. I do think these officials do an, an unbelievable job. They've got the hardest job, in my opinion, in pro sports in terms of officiating. But it's, the issue isn't with the officials. It's, being, it's with what the officials are instructed yes. to do and how they're instructed to call the game. And that's where I think people get lost. And I, I think you know, in your story and in your tweet – uh, I think you pointed out the difference, you know, going back to the first year out of the lockout, 05, 06, penalties were at an all-time high. And mm-hmm. that's because they called the rule book exactly as it's written. I think that's what they need to get back to. Uh, it's interesting. We also pre-taped a conversation with Andrew Cogliano, which will come out next week. He doesn't, he, he likes it the way it is. He'd like to see less being called and, and players getting away with more. Um, I just, I thought we'd at least the very least would have that up for debate and, and that this would be a topic of conversation at this exact juncture in the season, in the summer, get 10 people, 20 people in a room together, have a summit. If that's what it takes, do it on zoom. If you need, no one even needs to leave the beach or leave their cottage, get, you know, a few current players, a few former players, a few current officials, and a representatives from the PA, a couple GMs, get them all in a room and just just hash it out. Does this does the standard of officiating need to change? Because I think what you could see is exactly what you saw in 0506, tons of penalties being called at a record rate. And if you stick with it, what happens is players either learn or their ass is stapled to the bench because they 100%. can't adjust. And if they can't, they find themselves out of a job the problem is the NHL let everyone off the hook too easily. They called it one way for an entire season. And then the next year they went back to the way it always was. And yeah. it's been that way ever since. And they just need some level of consistency in my opinion. And, and here, and, and I know some people want to, you know, they're like, well, you're using 06. I said, okay, well, let's use 07 then. Go back to 2007 when they, when they dropped down significantly. All you have to do is look at this. The goals overall per game in the NHL were the same, but that's because the five-on-five players are scoring more now today than they ever were before because you had 0.57 power play goals per team per game this past season. In 2007, not 2006, 2007, it was 0.89. So that's 0.3 goals per game. And they were getting significantly more power plays still. And they were down to four. Like we're the teams were at 2.89 this year. It's not even three per game. I don't care. The game is so fast now. You can't tell me there's not that infractions. I don't want to see everything called. I just want to see the rule book enforced. And to me, it really is going to come down to the players. And I don't, I don't need the players to go on Twitter or something where because you, anybody can yell and scream there and nothing happens. I think you need to have the players have a meeting with the ones and say, okay, like 
talk to the league, say, this isn't helping us because here's the thing, Frank, we're coming out of the pandemic. I think in certain markets, there's going to be some fans who have to question where they're spending their entertainment dollars. And you know what's entertaining in the regular season? Goals. Power plays and goals. And lead changes. The lead changes and making it back and forth, right? That's And that's where, like, it's a But it needs to be done for authentic reasons, not for dollar purposes. No, no, but but sure. But, hey, unfortunately, I think people will, some people react better to the dollar. So I agree with you. It should be about authentic and the game's better. But the benefit is, is that's going to keep more fans engaged because the, the young generation of fans, they want to be entertained. They want to see things that cause emotional uprises. Up, and you know what does that? Lead changes. And the thing is, if you look at the... And because people are like, well, maybe the players are just better now. And I'm like, okay, so let's wait. So only NHL athletes have improved, not NBA, not NFL, because guess what? Their infractions aren't way down, Right. They still call the rules and they've Mm. changed the rules to benefit for more offense. And some people complain briefly and now they love it. And the the NHL more goals is better. As long as it's not just, you know, endless parade of, I'm not asking for eight pet power plays because that's where everybody always does. They hyperbolize things and want to go to the extreme. You're, you're talking, but there were almost eight power plays a game in 05, 06. It was like seven and change, right? Oh no. It was six per team, Frank. Oh, okay, the so L- the LA Kings, and that's the thing, the top five teams in NHL history for most power plays opportunities per game all came from that year. They had 22 of the top 40 all time from one season, right? They really, so that's obviously the extreme. I don't need the extreme. Just meet in the middle because here's oh, the I, thing. I, I, but I think you have to start on the extreme sure. is the point. And it's going to take everyone three to four months of that pain where it is going to be that many penalties and the game is going to take longer. And there are going to be a lot of power plays and a lot of power play goals scored three to four months. I really think is what that's how long it would take the players to adapt. Think about how quickly they made the transition when the standard, for instance, on hooking was changed. As soon as your stick was horizontal, they were calling it every time. Not to say you don't see it anymore, but you see it, you know, 20% as, as many times as you used to. How many headshots do we see? They cry, They said, you know what? Headshots were taken out. The pl- These are the best players in the world. They can adapt. Adapt and I think or the- die. That's what it yeah. is. And I think the players need to take, this is their game. They need to take control of it and just say, hey, we want this in force because the best players are the ones who are who have to, to uh, bear the brunt of this. They're the ones the who have the puck is, the most. You're asking for the best players in the world to suddenly find their voice. Yeah. Well, but find it behind the scenes. I don't need it publicly behind the scenes. And I think it would be better off for, honestly, I think it'd be better off for everybody involved uh, in the game because preaching to the converted. there's a, there's more money. So hopefully it's something uh, that happens. Uh, let's bring in uh, producer Ty. We haven't seen him for a while. He's been on holidays. Uh, Ty, my man, how you doing? As all good producers do, you take 10 days off in the busiest stretch of the season. That is, <laughs> They call that a veteran move. Yes. Uh, buy or sell is brought to you by Roasty Coffee. If you think my buy or sell questions are bad, imagine if I didn't have Roasty Coffee to power me when I come up with them. Uh, number one, let's start with Jack Eichel. He is the final big name still sort of on the trade market here. One of the final big names, I should say, because Tarasenko is still kicking around. I'm going to say he'll get moved, but I'm going to say he's still a saber come September. It will take a while for a deal to come through here. Frank, you buying or selling on that? I'm buying. I think it was going to happen. It, it would have happened by now. Uh, at least, you know, to this point, it would have been that sort of Friday, Thursday, Friday before the draft. And I think the next real pressure point is when Jack Eichel needs to get on a plane to go to Buffalo 
And the idea of him walking in that dressing room again, the idea of how could this guy possibly still have the C on his jersey, given all that's gone on and how this has played out, I just don't see it. I think the Sabres know they need to cut the cord. And it's just a matter of, of really other teams waiting them out to that point. The thing is, I think a lot of other teams have made pretty significant moves that would have chewed up cap space, chewed up the position uh, opportunity at center. And, and it might be hard to pull off a deal now. Well, hey, uh, I will buy. He's definitely not getting moved till September. I might even stretch that into October, Frank, because I'm not sure he shows up for training camp because he, he can hold out until the regular season starts October 13th before you start missing any actual uh, payments or anything like that. And uh, you mentioned teams. The one team that has done nothing this offseason, the Anaheim Ducks, right? It's almost like the Ducks are waiting for the Jack Eichel move because they have literally, they're one forward in, one forward out. That's it. They re-signed Ryan Getzlaff. They haven't made any other moves. This was a team that was 30th in the NHL this past season, 27th the year it's before. giving the Ducks a lot of credit. Yeah. Well, they I said well, last week I thought they were asleep at the wheel. So well, maybe they maybe are. Maybe they just, just have saying. a grand plan that we don't no, know. No, about. but if they it might have fallen in their lap because as you mentioned, there's not a lot of other teams. But I'm definitely I'm gonna say this. I don't think Eichel gets moved till October. Ooh. Uh, let's do some off-season review here as you guys gave your take on the Ducks there. Let's start in the Eastern Conference, though, where I'm going to say the Boston Bruins had the best off-season in the East. I like the Riley signing. You got Felino, You got Hall coming back. All mark between the pipes. Bruins' best off-season. Jason, you buying or selling? Oof. That's a really good question. I'm racking my brain now uh, looking at, uh, at teams and moves that they made. I like their off-season move. I, you know what? I'm going to sell. I'm going to say the Florida Panthers. I really look subtly like Florida is just some of the moves. I just think they've solidified their team even more, and I don't think they're done. I think Big Z might end up in Florida. All right, Frank, That's what do you Chara, got? by the way. <laughs> I am selling. Um, I actually – I know I'm going to be out on an island here. I don't really like hardly any of the moves the Bruins made. What is there to uh, not like? I think Nick Foligno has significant injury his, uh, issues. Uh, I think the fact that he's at 3.8 million is hard to fathom given his lack of production last year and given the run that he went on with the Leafs. Um, I wonder how much Eric Halla has left. They really gave a lot of term to Derek Forbert and Mike Riley. Um, and then Linus Olmark, as talented as he is, he's earned a reputation around the league as being a guy that, for whatever reason, just can't stay on the ice. And so there's a lot to, you know, to prove there, I think, in terms of the direction that the Boston Bruins are going in and, and also losing David Krejci. You know, he's been a productive 45, 50-point guy. I don't know. I just uh, – I wonder how long the Bruins are going to be hanging on. Maybe uh, maybe a little friendly wagers in order for the Boston Bruins next season between us, Frank. Uh, okay, uh, just tell me who your four <laughs> playoff teams are uh, coming out of that division, and then we can talk. All right, let's move out west then and uh, talk about who had the best offseason in the Western Conference. I'm going to say it was the LA Kings, adding Philippe Deneau. They got a veteran D-man and Alex Edler to go along with them, and I loved their deal early in the summer. It kind of got forgotten, but to pick up Victor Arvidsson as well. I mean, I'm not going to say they're a, you know like a lock to make the playoffs, but I think in terms of turning over the roster a little bit, the Kings did some good stuff. Frank, you buying or selling? Buying that the Kings did some good stuff for sure. I think the team that had the best offseason in the West is the Winnipeg Jets. Ooh. I love their two moves on defense. I've been, I am like apparently, you know, talking about them and uh, on the pod and elsewhere. I'm the 
president of the Brendan Dillon fan club. Um, then to add Nate Schmidt, it's so tough to add pieces in Winnipeg via free agency. They have to do it on the trade front and they've already got hella bucket net. They've got one of the best top sixes in the NHL in terms of forwards. And I really like what they did to improve their back end. Winnipeg Jets, you heard it here first, legitimate Stanley Cup contender. Oh, whoa. I like this team's offseason because they weren't very good last year. They have a lot of room to improve. I'm not sure it's enough to make the playoffs, but uh, uh, the Chicago Blackhawks have uh, have made significant moves. I don't like what they've done as an organization. That's a completely different thing. But if we're talking just their hockey moves, um, from uh, Seth Jones, uh, Marc-Andre Fleury is is an absolute beauty of a human being. Teammates love him. He's the best, he's the reigning Vezin Trophy winner. Yeah. He's a pretty good goaltender. You got a good goaltender. You, you got a shot. Um, you know, they bring in Tyler Johnson uh, really for nothing. They just get rid of an LTI space. So I, I look at just from a pure hockey standpoint moves, the Blackhawks. Let's talk biggest disappointment league-wide. And the team I'm going with, they actually won their division last year when I, when I looked back at it, but there was a lot of talk about what they want to do. And I felt like they didn't accomplish a lot. And that's the Pittsburgh Penguins. They didn't get a veteran goalie. They swapped McGinn for Tanev in their forward group and that's it. And they're coming back with the same blue line as well. I'll say the Penguins were the biggest offseason disappointment. Jason, you buying or selling? I probably have to buy on that. Uh, I agree with you. I like, there's a team I will say this about their goaltending. I think that that might turn out to be some of the best moves you make are the ones you don't make. And young guys like that, like I'm not, I'm not sold yet to write off Tristan Jari. Like a lot of people want to. So, uh, well, granted, I'm uh, goaltenders are going to be voodoo. I could be easily very wrong on that, but so I'm not mad about that, but, uh, their defense, that's, uh, that to me is a little bit of a surprising move that they didn't really add a whole bunch. And, they didn't necessarily get any younger either up front. So I would agree for a team that was solid, they, they didn't seem to do enough to, uh, to improve their lot in life and followed closely by Toronto. I, I, I was going to say I'm selling. And when you said team that actually won their division had a disappointing finish and then a disappointing off season. And then you said the Pittsburgh Penguins. I was like, huh? How is he not talking about the Toronto Maple Leafs? Um, you know, I just think the Leafs have such a far way to go to get to where they want to be and running back mostly the same group without any significant improvements is not a bet that I would be making. I actually don't really have any issue with what the Penguins have done. They've sort of just stuck to the program. I think everyone was expecting, you know, is this the point where Ron Hextall begins to turn over this group? And I would say like, they did win their division. Obviously, they haven't had meaningful playoff success in a couple of years, but I think they ha- clearly have the, some of the foundational pieces to really continue to go down that path and to take another run at it. So um, I don't really have any issue with what Pittsburgh's done. They're waiting to rip the Band-Aid off. It just isn't yet. It's clearly not yet. And Ron Hextall also made one of the best trade deadline acquisitions in Jeff Carter. Now they get a full season of Jeff Carter at a $2.6 million cap hit. Good point. I did forget about Carter there Uh, for the last one here, sticking with a similar theme, but kind of the opposite of disappointment. I suppose looking at the teams that missed the postseason last year, I'm going to ask you guys, which one you think put themselves in a best in the best position to now vault into a playoff spot going forward. And there's a part of me that, I mean, their division is so hard, but with the amount of changes they made in Philly, I, I'm going to go with Philly on this one. Um, it ties in nicely to our guest that's coming up in a couple of episodes as well. But I'm going to say Philly put themselves in the best spot to vault back into the playoff picture next year. Frank, I'll start with you. 
buying or selling on Philly? I am selling. And it's not because I don't like what the Flyers did. I think, you know, I'm always going to applaud significant change, especially when, as Chuck Fletcher said, how could we possibly expect to bring the same players back and, and as a core and, and get different results? So they did make big moves, but I think the team that has really improved themselves is the Dallas Stars. Um, <laughs> I love what they've done on their back end. Ryan Suter, Yanni Hockenpah, uh, get some security with Miro Heiskanen, Luke Lendenning up front. Um, I just think that team now close to fully healthy, still not sure what's going on with Ben Bishop. They've got, you know, almost too many goalies at a certain point. I think the Dallas stars are a very firm playoff team coming out of the central. Yeah, it's hard to argue with that one. Um, they're also lucky because they get Tyler Sagan and Radulov back and they combined for 14 games last year. So I think they're automatically better just because they got those two guys back. Um, the, the one team I'm going to say, because I, I, their power play crushed them in the first part of the season. I think the New York Rangers have done enough just because they were good enough already. Ryan Reeves comes in. They've really changed the focus of that team. They've got the skill. You know, Zabanajad is, you know, COVID obviously derailed him early on in the year and their power play was terrible. But man, if you look at the New York Rangers in the second half, almost three quarters of last season. And then, uh, you know, they bring in Reeves, who brings an element that they clearly need. Barkley Goudreau is a, is a highly competitive player who's going to help them. And I think the two young kids, Capo Caco and Lafreniere, are going to be better. So I'm going to go with those guys. And it's part of it's coming from uh, internal. But also, I just like that they, they just made some subtle moves to change what that team was lacking because I think they got pushed around. And they're not going to get pushed around this season. And they got enough skill to make the postseason. Another good answer would have been the team right across the river in the New Jersey Devils. Uh, they had a really good offseason as well. Yeah. All good points. There is your off-season recap edition of Buy or Sell brought to you by Roasty Coffee. Awesome. Let's get to our uh, guest this week, one of the new members of the Seattle Kraken, Jordan Eberle. All right, and now we get to our guest today, delivered by DoorDash. I highly recommend Oodle Noodle. Deliver it right to your door, Frank. I know you don't have the luxury, but uh, our next guest has probably had it. He loves it. It's fantastic. If you never use DoorDash, you can try the app. You'll get 25% off and free delivery when you use the promo code RUNDOWNDD. So check it out. Highly recommend uh, Oodle Noodle. Uh, we are now joined by a gentleman who is the 22nd overall pick in 2008. He has the second most goals from his draft class with 241, only behind Steven Stamkos, and his third in points behind Stamkos and Carlson. He's turned out to be a fantastic pick at uh, 22nd overall, and he's one of the newest members of the newest franchise in the National Hockey League, the Seattle Kraken, uh, former Oiler and New York Islander, Jordan Everly joins us. Ebs, how you doing? I'm good, Greg. How are you doing? Uh, I'm excellent. Now, are, are you doing this from a park bench? Yeah, yeah. No, I, uh, uh, my wife, we have some friends in town. They wanted to go get ice cream after dinner. So um, I was like, well, I have this podcast, but I'm not going to miss this ice cream. So I, uh, I took my scooter and ripped way ahead, and I'm waiting for them while I'm here. So it worked out well. Okay. Well, buddy, that's dedication. I love it. So, um, you, you were in Seattle, kind of take us through that process. Like you've been traded once in the off season from New York, uh, from Edmonton to New York, but this was, was kind of a little bit different because you knew you're exposed. So you're like, well, there's a chance 
Um, wh when did you find out that you were getting taken and were you expected that they would take you? Yeah. So, I mean, it, it all kind of started, uh, I'm going to say five days before the, well, when the, when the list had come out, I got a call from Lou that he told me I was, uh, wasn't going to be exposed. And I mean, honestly, it was, it was a bit of a shock. I didn't expect to be in that situation, but, um, you know, once it came, um, you know, obviously there was a stressful few days, you know, the wife and I were talking about, you know, maybe this could happen, blah, blah, blah. Um, wasn't until, um, I think Tuesday, the day before that I found out. So got a call from Lou and then I got a call from Ron Francis and told me that they'd picked me and, um, had to get a COVID test quick and, and jump on a plane on Wednesday. So, I mean, I was, uh, I was told to keep it super, super tight, but, um, and not really tell anyone, which I didn't, but I don't, I think it all leaked anyway. So it didn't really matter. Sorry about that. <laughs> when i was uh when i was signing up for this podcast i told greg that i was gonna i was gonna ask you how you found out everything when they were they were stifled in in seattle yeah it was uh it was kind of crazy to piece everything together like um you know you i know that you had found out the day before and a couple of the other guys that were coming in and traveling in for it but you know I know you kept it tight and, and kept it quiet, but, you know, word starts to filter out pretty quick. You know, player finds out, tells friends, family, agent finds out, you know, the group chat starts to light up. It all kind of trickles downhill pretty quick and just a lot to keep under lock and key before, you know, 8 a.m., 8 p.m., excuse me, the show. Uh, it's a long time between the list being due and the show. Yeah, yeah, because we, we landed in uh, Seattle, I remember, in the afternoon at noon. And, uh, I landed, looked at my phone. I knew my whole team and, uh, I thought it was kind of funny. Cause we, I mean, I had told my wife and my parents and that's about it, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, it was, uh, it was all together though. They put on a heck of a show in, in, uh, in Seattle and, and with what they did and, and the amount of celebrities that they had come and, and do the teams. But I think that was the best thing for me was going down and just seeing the, um, just the support that they were going to have for the Kraken and, and how many tickets they had sold. And, and the fan base was amazing. Well, you look at that and I know you're a big sports guy. So you got the, you know, you got the NFL, you can go to, you can go to major league baseball. And so that, and, and Seattle's a, a huge hockey town. Now you played in Seattle against the Thunderbirds, of course, but not at the downtown uh, facility. Did you get a tour of the arena? Cause uh, either way you were going to play in a new barn this year, whether it was in New York or there. And I know you did, uh, you were in Edmonton when they opened up their new barn. How does the, the new Seattle barn look? Yeah. So when I played for the Pats, I got actually, uh, I definitely played one game in the old arena, uh, where the Supersonics played. And, um, I remember it was really big. It was really eerie. It was, it was, there was no people in it, but I know they play in Kent now and I got a chance to play there too, but I never really had a chance to actually get around the city and see everything. Um, but yeah, we did get a chance. They took us through the arena and, and, uh, I was blown away. I mean, um, uh, the amount of money and, and, you know, time that they put into that place and, um, what they actually did was, they took the original uh, arena or the original roof from the original building, suspended it, put posts to keep it up, dug everything out, stripped everything out. It's a brand new arena. And, um, you know, in my opinion, it's going to be one of the nicest rinks in the league. So, um, you know, it's great when you have ownership and, and uh, people behind the city that, you know, care enough about that to, you know, you know, make it worth your while. Jordan, you mentioned how stressful kind of the experience was leading up to the, to actually finding out where you were heading, but, I was wondering what emotion you felt more of a pull towards. Was it the excitement once you did find out that you were going to Seattle or was there also some disappointment in knowing how close you've been with the Islanders to really achieving the ultimate goal? 
No, there's there's definitely mixed emotions. Um, you know, I, I'd definitely be lying if I said uh, once I found out I wasn't devastated. I mean, you get, in my opinion, a, a game away from getting to the cup and having an opportunity to win. And last year was the same thing, a couple games away losing game six. And we got to – I mean, you talk to anyone who's traded, it, it's it's tough. You have friends, you have family. Um, you got to move your wife and kid. And, um, it's never the easy part of the game, for sure. Um, you lose friendships. And, and especially in New York, we had such a tight-knit group. I think that's why we had so much success. So, um, you know, that aspect is really hard. I'm at an age now where um, – I mean, I'm definitely on the back nine of, of my career and I want, I want to win. I think first and foremost, I want to win a cup. So, um, you know, that's, that's always tough, but you know, I, I was happy that I got a chance to go to Seattle and see the city, see, um, how much excitement there was with everything and, and see the arena and and the fans and everything. And and that kind of got me pumped up. So, um, definitely looking forward to it now with the new opportunity, just obviously got to sell the house and, and uh, get a place to live in Seattle. And, and uh, I know my wife's super excited too. It's obviously a little bit closer to home in Calgary. How much did the success that the Golden Knights have changed the outlook on playing for an expansion team? I mean, heading into that season, everyone had kind of written off that group and said there's no chance they have success. And now for the last four or five years, they've been one of the best teams in the league consistently. Does that sort of change the outlook in terms of going to a new team? No, for sure. I think we're going to... You know, they kind of set the bar and definitely very high. So it's, uh, I mean, you don't want to, you don't want to, you know, think too far ahead. And I think once we get this group together and we get to training camp and, and uh, get a chance to play together and, and see each other and, uh, and get a chance to, you know, see uh, what kind of, what kind of build we have together, that'll, that'll help a lot. But, um, you know, I, I, I think the biggest thing for us um, is just not setting expectations. I know the, the, Las Vegas making it to the cup final their first year uh, is pretty high, but um, you know, I, I think you have this underdog role. And I think I remember they took almost a misfit role is what they had on their shirts about guys getting picked from different teams. So, you know, I've seen it in long Island. I mean, we don't have any superstars there and um, you know, we, we, we found a way to come together and win. And it's amazing when you have a group that does that, how far you can go. So you never know. You know, obviously, a lot of the veterans on that team. One guy you probably know maybe more off of the ice because your commercials with ATB for many years, you and Giordano. And, you know, guy won the Norse Trophy a few seasons ago. He's highly regarded as not just a really good human being. He's obviously an excellent hockey player, but a really good guy. How, how important do you think when you come together is like, are you guys going to need to do more team bonding? Because usually when you, you know, you start in, uh, at the start of the year, you got maybe three or four new guys. This isn't a completely new team, Jordan. Um, where, where do you come out on team camaraderie and, and, and culture and how to build it in a short period of time when it's essentially an entire new team? Oh, that's a great point. I mean, we've talked about it. Um, some of the older guys, even when we were in Seattle, I mean, you're going to have to get together quite a bit and, I mean, it's funny when you've been together on a team for a while, you have stories from years past, from dinners, from whatever it is. And that just kind of builds your team together. But um, starting fresh as a group um, is a new experience. But the good thing is it's a new experience for everyone. So we're all going to go through it together. Um, that in itself, I think, will just create bonds. So um, I plan on going to Seattle a few weeks early just to get the lay of the land. I mean, from trainers to coaches to GM to the rink to the city, everything's new. So um, like I said, I, I plan on getting there early and, and starting to create that early. And, and, um, you know, I've talked to the coach and I'm sure we'll have, uh, some sort of, you know, team building activities that, uh, will, will bring us together. 
Now we have a lot of Seattle fans who will be watching this and you know, they've, they're like, oh, okay, I can look up Jordan Eberle stats and okay, pretty good goal store. But uh, let's go back maybe a, a little bit in time for, for some of those Seattle fans. You might, you have one of the greatest first goals in any like first NHL goals in NHL history. Uh, when you uh, dance around Kippersoff, you know, opening night, Edmonton, Calgary, all that stuff. You scored those big goals for Canada, but you look at Jordan Eberle now compared to Jordan Eberle, the rookie in 2010, how, how much different of a player are you now today? And, and what do you feel is the biggest change in your game? Well, I, I think that the biggest change by far is my 200 foot game. You know, I came in gung ho on playing offense and, um, you know, obviously I had success myself and putting the buck in the net and putting up points, but team wise, I mean, we didn't have any in Edmonton up until my last year. Um, you know, I think Barry Trotz has done a great job in teaching me how to play on the other side of the puck, understand that, I mean, points are great. You want to score, but there's other ways to contribute as a winger and, and, uh, and all of that transitions into playing winning hockey. And I think you look at the group in long Island. I think we did that. I mean, are not there wasn't really a lot of guys who on our team who put up a lot of points. I think I think I had 33 last year and I was third. So I mean we definitely did not score a lot, but we we did other things that went under un, unnoticed, and that's that's the type of hockey that you have to play to win. So I like to think that I'm a way way better 200 foot player and somebody that can be uh, can be trusted on both sides of the ice. So um, I think as you get older, that's that's important that you learn how to do that and um, you add that to your game. So how. Take us through a conversation with Barry Trotz on that point, uh, Ebbs, because, you know, it's easy to say I want to be a better player, but it's it's a hard adjustment. What was – because you've been a goal scorer your whole life and, you know, your coaches probably allowed you to get away with cheating a little bit defensively. Mm-hmm. What was the original conversation with, with Trotz and how he got your attention or, or how you got his to say, okay, I got to improve here? Uh, I mean – they're usually, it's not even so much a conversation. You just, you learn through it, through the ice time that you're getting. And if, <laughs> if your ice time is going, continuously going down, I mean, you're understanding you're not, I'm not a smart guy. I don't, I know something I'm doing is not right. So, um, you know, you, you mentioned the word cheating and that, and it's just cheating for offense and, and, uh, you know, giving up your guys. I, I've learned to, you know, how important as a winger making wall plays are getting the puck out, getting in lanes to block shots. Um, you know, getting on the right side of the puck, being in front of guys. I mean, it just became part of a habit for me the last couple of years. I mean, to say I excelled at it right off the bat is a complete lie. It took me some time. And um, for a while, I didn't think they were going to want me back in Long Island because I couldn't figure it out. But as I continued to get better and then obviously had a good playoffs my first round of Barry, um, that was kind of the turning point for me. And as far as, you know, this is where I want to play and I understand how to do it. And I, and I know how to play winning hockey. And, I think when you have every guy on your team who's buying in to do that, I mean, the the sky's the limit for what your team can do. I always wrestle with this, Jordan, as a reporter and someone watching the game is the importance or influence of a coach on a team. Uh, you know, you mentioned Barry and sort of the impact he's had on you. How do you, having played for a number of different coaches now, it, it, you know, in the media, do we sometimes get it wrong when we overstate or, or point, you know, always the blame when things are going south is on the coach and it, the, the focus is always on that. But in terms of the ability to take a team and lift them up, did you kind of see firsthand, you know, from Barry Trotz, the, the ability of a coach to do that? Yeah, I, I think so for sure. I mean, Barry obviously gets a lot of the credit the way, I mean, you look at the teams he's coached over the past with Nashville and Washington, you know, they've adapted that style, but um, you know, a lot of it is on the players too. You, you know, they have to figure out a way to do it collectively. Um, 
a lot of it is just putting your ego aside and um, understanding that maybe you're not going to score as much. Maybe you're not going to put up as many points, but you're going to win more. Um, for me in the situation I'm in, obviously I'm a little bit older and I mentioned before, I'm not, I'm not really looking to win scoring titles or doing anything like that. I just want to win a Stanley cup. I mean, you know, you're at the back nine, you realize that there's not many years left that you have to do this. So, um, you know, it's easy for me, a guy like myself to buy into that. Uh, it's maybe not as easy for a younger guy, especially, you know, if you're in Canada and you're getting the accolades from TSN or, you know, getting the top, whatever. I mean, that stuff's always great, but when you're not winning, it's frustrating. So, um, that's kind of my mindset as far as, um, the way that I've kind of approached it and played in Long Island. And I hope to take that to Seattle, but, um, you know, Barry does a great job of bringing the group together and, and understanding that, you know, maybe you're not going to score a lot, but you're going to win a lot of games. Everything that you just said is like, like chapter and verse out of the Lou Lamorello playbook. What, <laughs> what did you, what did you learn from being around him? No. And, and that's totally it. It's just how to be a professional. Um, you know, I, uh, the, the, when you have two guys like that, you respect a lot, you understand, and they've done a lot of winning. You kind of just buy into it. And when you have a group of guys that we did that Long Island, we won a lot. And, uh, you know, maybe we didn't have the most talent team, but um, that's just that's just the way we approach things. So, um, like I said, I, I've learned a lot there, and, and I'm excited for my new opportunity in Seattle to hopefully bring that to there. Mentioned Lou Lamarillo, uh, Ebbs, and of course he has certain rules on facial hair. You can, you got like the five o'clock shadow by noon every day. Um, are, are you happy about that, or did you get used to uh, having to shave virtually every day? No, I, I, I got used to it. It, it uh, you know, a lot of guys talk about the hair and the the uh, the beards and whatnot, but um, it, it's really not that hard, and it's just, it's just kind of. Uh, I'm sure it's just, and you hear him talk about it. It's just a staple to being a professional. I mean, you want to look your best. And I think it goes back to probably the old New York Yankee days. So, um, you know, you're professional off the ice and you're professional on the ice. And that's kind of the approach you take. So um, you learn quickly. That's for sure. I've seen some guys get the, uh, the evil eye of if their hair's too long and the, the beard's too long. So uh, you never want to be in that situation. So did he like have like a, a come in with the ruler and measuring guys or was it just a look like, how did you know if your locks were getting too long? Uh, I mean, he would, you could tell, and he wouldn't even have to say anything. It was just, uh, he would look at you and you knew that something was off and that it was literally that simple. So, um, but I have heard him say, you know, it's time to get a haircut or, or it's time to shave this or that. So, um, but I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't by any means a ruler or uh, a sergeant or anything like that. So, but we always talk about the hair and, and the facial hair, but there's actually more, there's more rules than that, right? Like it, there's dress code, everything, right? Yeah. And I, and I think that just goes about being a professional. Um, you know, I'm sure people that go to the office, I know it's gotten a little lighter in this day and age, yeah, but no one I goes mean, to the to office clean. anymore. I know it's, we had to be clean shaven, you wore a suit and tie and, and that's just part of being a professional. So, um, you know, it really wasn't, it's not a, it's not a hard thing to do by any means. You've been, we've been doing it our whole lives. So it, uh, you know, you, you just, you learn to do it. So enough talk about the Islanders and some of your past experiences. When you got to Seattle, Jordan, was there one thing aside from sort of the excitement in the city that blew you away about your visit? Honestly, it was just the, the fan support, you know, I had played in Seattle, but under the junior team and I hadn't really got to experience, um, you know, what it was like. I obviously I'm a big football fan. I see how the Seahawks do, but, um, 
I, I had heard that they had sold, I think, 10,000 season tickets in 10 minutes. And I was blown away at the support we had even at the draft. So um, I'm super excited to get there and, and hopefully start winning some hockey games. And, and I know they've been itching for a team there for a while. Uh, Jordan, uh, we always like to uh, end our interviews with uh, rapid fire. So uh, we have a wide variety of different ones. Uh, the only rule is you have to answer it. Okay. So okay. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll go through uh, maybe your career uh, chronologically. Um, who is a worse or who is a better dresser, Hall or Nugent Hopkins? Oh, I'd probably go Hall. Okay. Who of uh, all your teammates in your career have you had the most fun chirping with as a teammate back and forth? Oh, um, you know what? I'd probably have to go Hall too. I mean, we lived together for a while and we, we knew how to get it uh, under each other's skin. So um, we got in some fierce battles for sure. Well, I, I do remember actually, this is a true story. So uh, Taylor Hall was a guest on my radio show. <laughs> Everly calls in and uh, pretends he's a fan and then starts asking him questions about how many apples he eats because he was chirping about his big teeth. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And I, I mean, I'm not really one to chirp about teeth either, but uh, when you're young and, and you're in a city and playing the NHL, you can, you can do stuff like that. <laughs> oh man. I still, I'll say I, I give him credit because he held on. Cause he didn't know it was you for the, like the first no. two minutes of it. And uh, he yeah. was actually really good. Cause you were just ripping him. It was so <laughs> funny. Um, if you go to Seattle, will you want to enforce the dress like a professional shave, like a professional? I mean, I'm definitely on board with the dress like a professional. Um, you know, I, I see these laxative outfits and coming to the rink, but I, I like wearing a suit and tie. I think, I think it's a, I think it's a standard that should be kept. But um, as far as the facial hair, um, I, I always felt like I was a better player with a beard. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep the beard. Maybe not okay. so much. You don't need the thick beard or the long, long hair. But you know, it's a little scruff. Who has better toe drag drags in practice, Jordan Everly or Matt Barzell? Oh, me for sure. And he'll disagree with that, but I'm going to, I'm going to take it over him. Okay. And you, you go to Seattle, uh, you know, you're back in the Pacific division. Tell me about travel. What was the, what was the, the best part of being in the East compared to being in the West travel wise? Oh, I mean, you're in your bed every night by midnight in, in the East in the Metro, especially with this year. I mean, you got New York and New Jersey who are bus right away. And then Philly, Pittsburgh, Washington, all close. So I know uh, being in Edmonton for a while, I know the travel is pretty hard in the Pacific division, but um, I think Seattle kind of being in the middle between the LA teams and the Canada, it should be a little bit easier, but it's, it's still a lot. Who took more takes in the ATB commercials, Giordano or Everly? Oh, that's a great question. Um, probably me. Probably me. Gio's a, Gio's a pro at that stuff. How many, now for people who maybe don't see it, and maybe we'll play the video on the pod. And I'm not sure if Frank's even seen it, but uh, Everly for many years was the ATB rep uh, as, as a bank. And uh, he had the one where you would body check the guy because he wasn't paying for the, or he's trying to steal a lady's purse or parking ticket. I can't even remember what it was. I think he was down. trying to take her cab trying to take her cab. How many takes did it take? And is that the hardest hit you've delivered in your NHL career? I would joke with my buddies. It's the only, that was my first hit and probably still my last. So, uh, but uh, I remember they had this big foam thing and 
Um, I mean, he gave me a little help too. I think he was jumping out of the way too, making it look like I really hit him. But uh, that was one of the funner ones that we've done. <laughs> All right. Uh, and, and Jordan, uh, the Olympics, uh, of course, are still going on. If Jordan Eberle could be an elite Olympic athlete in the Summer Olympics, what event would you want to be in? Oh. <laughs> uh... I mean, what event would I want to be in or one that I'd probably actually have success with? Because, I mean, I'm watching these athletes. They're pretty amazing. The only thing oh. I'd have a chance at is maybe like speed walking. But, um, I, I mean, one that I'd want to be in, I mean, I'm watching these sprinters and, and oh. watching how fast they go. They're pretty amazing. Everyone that in the Olympics is just, they're incredible. I always say that they train for four years. They have 10 seconds to, to you know, there's some days where you play hockey, you just don't feel like you have it. You can't wake up that day and, and not have it. So there's a lot of pressure on them. So of all your teammates, who do you think is the most athletic, non-hockey-wise, of all the teammates you've played with in uh, New York or Edmonton? Oh, that's another good question. Um, you know who was a great athlete was Sean Horkoff. I feel like everything he did, ping pong, racquetball, it didn't matter, golf, he was just unbelievable at it. So I'm going to go with him. All right. And uh, what's your best golf score this summer? I've progressively gotten worse the last two years. Um, so I'm playing too much playoff hockey. So my golf game's going, going the other way, but, um, I think I got like some mid seventies, but those are rare now. I'm, I'm hitting like mid eighties for the most part. Geez, still hitting mid seventies, dude. That's not that bad <laughs> at all. Uh, well, Jordan, we'll let you go get some ice cream while uh, we really appreciate you, uh, uh, scootering ahead on that. And Oh, by the way, what ice cream are you getting? What's your flavor? I don't know. I, they're standing right here. I think she got me salted caramel. So hopefully it, it's, uh, it's not melted by now. <laughs> uh, do you like, do you like tiger ice cream? No, not at all. <laughs> oh, dude. You haven't lived till you have that. You got to try. Come on, it. let him go. It's melting. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Ebs. We'll talk to you all again. Right. Good luck in Seattle. I appreciate it, guys. Take care. Jordan Everly, what a good dude. Uh, scooters ahead so he can uh, sit down and do the interview with us. Yeah, and you're trying uh, to we... ask him 19 rapid fire questions. Hey, like, let the man eat his ice cream. Ah, oh, wow. You know, he's priorities. He he's Spoken in training, like... man. Just like he's in training. You can't, uh, maybe, maybe he's got a Nathan McKinnon teammate who's like, no, 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 none Ooh. of that sweet stuff. That, hey, too soon. Uh, there's been lots of criticism on the Nathan McKinnon stuff. Oh. I read it and I was like, what's wrong with that? He wants to win. I don't think there's anything wrong with that at all, right? Absolutely. Zadorov was talking glowingly about him. So I, no, just, I know, but the he's been crushed on social media. Uh, yeah. Oh, I saw shit. one headline that said Nathan McKinnon is a douche canoe. I go, yeah, okay. Well, like why? But yeah. by, by who? Bloggerinhisbasement.com? Like, <laughs> honestly, who cares about like we, we focus too much on the uh on the small minority. I think most people who get it look and say, here's a guy who's ultra dedicated. And, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's spending money on himself. He's, you know, he takes his teammates out. He wants them to eat better. I, to me, that's leadership, right? Like it, what's it's wrong always... with a little chickpea pasta. Come on. Uh, you know what? I'm kind of intrigued by it. I've never had it. I, I eat it all the time. Cause I'm gluten-free. So I enjoy it. Oh, there you go. Well, there you go. Hey, if it's good enough for Sarah Valley, then it, that's why you're in the room. Look at you. I, I just enjoyed the, uh, you know, Jordan Everly's getting, uh, getting uh, a little ice cream. We, we, also recorded a pod with Andrew Cogliano. He seems like a guy who takes nutrition very seriously. I was going to yes. ask him in a rapid fire question, what would be his guilty, what's his guilty Ooh, pleasure? What, what would his, yeah. But you know what? Uh, different strokes for everyone and hard to knock any uh, like Jordan. No. Everly. You earned your ice cream, man. Two, two trips to the conference final. And now you're off to Seattle. Enjoy a little salted caramel every now and again.
Well, I guarantee if you ask Nathan McKinnon, he has the odd ice cream in the summertime. That's when you can do it, but not during the season. I told and that him was exactly the point of the story was, yeah. if you want to eat that stuff, go do it in the off season. Yeah, and I, I respect it totally. Uh, Frank's been a fun pod with uh, Jordan Everly. Coming up, uh, we got the GM, Chuck Fletcher, being very busy. So uh, he will join us on Monday's pod. Thanks for listening to the DFO Rundown with Cervalli and Gregor. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. And let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? But there's more. You got to decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount. And that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's going to find the back of the net first. And you're going to want to be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear, and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.